Hello, and welcome to episode four of Coffee Chats with Ryan. Um, There's nothing really to begin this episode with. There's not much housekeeping to do other than a quick note that if you visit the link in my Instagram bio, or if you visit anchor.fm slash coffee with Ryan, you can leave me a voice memo, kind of like a voicemail that I can then use to play back on the show and answer your questions, concerns, or give you my two cents on a topic you might have or a situation you might encounter. Um, So by all means, if you have any of those, either drop me a voice message or you can always shoot me them in as a DM on Instagram. And uh, if you have anybody else that you think you want to hear on the show, let me know and I'll try to reach out to them and get them on the podcast. Let's jump right into it. This week, it's a little bit different. I asked for some questions and topics you wanted to hear me discuss because either you're curious about my my thoughts on them or you just want to hear what crazy stuff comes out of my mouth. Um, Either way, a bunch of you responded and I'm very grateful for that. I've got uh, got a bunch of talking points that I can go off of now. Here it is. Grab a cup of coffee and uh, let's jump into it. What is your favorite coffee? So my favorite coffee is black. Realistically, uh, I don't know if I have a favorite coffee bean or a style that I prefer the most. My favorite coffee is definitely a black coffee. I, uh, I I got used to it when I was in school. I said, you know what, I, I need a coffee to wake up in the morning. I need the caffeine, but I don't want to have all the extra sugar. My body doesn't really handle dairy too well. So I'll just get used to drinking it black. And it took a little bit, but now I can only drink it black. Um, I don't mind a good Americano. When I'm traveling, I don't mind hotel coffee. However, I do kind of prefer to find a local coffee shop and drink from there. If you're in Ottawa, Happy Goat Coffee is very good. Um, Strongly recommend picking some up and making it. Or if you can go find one, that find a place that serves it, grab a Happy Goat Coffee. They're a very, very good, good local company. And I always love supporting local. What's my current Starbucks order? If you want to talk coffee, currently, because it's cold out, it's an Americano with the Irish cream. Not the most fancy of coffees i like i've been liking the irish cream recently i don't mind any real latte if i'm going to get something a little bit kind of fancier and a little bit more white girl of me um but i also don't mind just black coffee a black americano um yeah in the summer i do prefer a nitro brewed coffee or an iced coffee um because it's hot out but uh, a black iced coffee is fantastic my airport order because it's typically 4.30, I'm through security by about 4.45, 5 o'clock, and I'm sitting in the airport waiting for a flight that I have to board at 5.45 or 6. Um, I'll usually head to the Starbucks and get an iced coffee with a single shot of hazelnut flavoring. And uh, that's my go-to. Wakes me up a little bit, um, and I love it. And when you land, hot tip, when you land and you're going to be jet-lagged, strongly recommend you grab a coffee. Um an old boss of mine when we went to Portugal for work recommended it. So we picked up coffee when we landed and it definitely helped motor through the rest of the day. Uh, cause nobody sleeps well on a plane unless you're, you know, paying $10,000 for that flight to go first class. But, uh, yeah, coffee when you land cup, cup of coffee in hand, really for those first couple of days. And, uh, it'll greatly help, but that's my favorite coffee is a black coffee. Um, and in the summer, a iced coffee, still black. You mentioned that you're pretty well-traveled. Where have you been, and what is your favorite city? 
so people who know me, and I'm assuming most people that listen to this this podcast right now know me and are friends, and I really appreciate you guys listening and, and putting up with me talking for an hour, especially this one is just me talking for like an hour straight. Um, but so for work, where have I been for work? I work in a pretty cool job. I've been to both Halifax and Victoria, BC multiple times. Halifax, Nova Scotia, Victoria, British Columbia, multiple times. Um, Halifax is a beautiful city. I love Victoria. Don't get me wrong. It's a great city. I love going there. Um, but there's something about Halifax. It might too be because that I, for a while there, I was in Halifax every couple months. So I got to know the city pretty well, but Halifax is amazing. Um, I've been to LA, been to Seattle. Uh, I went to Cocoa Beach, Florida. That wasn't because necessary. So work, the place I had to be was about a 20 minute drive in from Cocoa Beach, but the hotels were cheaper in Cocoa Beach. So we needed to rent the car anyway, and we just rented a hotel on Cocoa Beach and it was off season. So the hotels were pretty cheap. Um, it was really nice. Really enjoyed it. It's really weird when you're walking kind of down the sand, wearing a pretty solid hoodie and like a jacket, like a, like a, and jeans and boots because it's freaking cold. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was really fun. And I've been to Porto, Portugal for work, beautiful city, amazing wine, um, amazing port too, specifically. Uh, they've got kind of on one side of the river on the other side. So there's Porto on one side of the river and on the other side, there's a, there's a row, I guess you call it, but it's that the whole bank is filled with, um, port wineries, I guess you'd call it. I can't remember the word for it, but, uh, kind of caves, I guess. And it's amazing. It, uh, I wasn't really a big fan of sherry or port or anything like that before going, but having been there and understanding it and tasting the good stuff, um, I can say I'm a fan and I've been to, this is kind of the weird one. So I've been to Bulgaria and I don't think there's too many people that can say it. And it is a beautiful country, a lot of history. And like anywhere that I've been, the food was amazing. Um, and there's a small city called Targovisht with a, I'm probably butchering that name, about 30,000 people in it, um, in Varna on the coast. So we flew in and stayed the night in Varna, drove inwards, business in Targovish, came back out one last day in Varna, got to see the Black Sea. Again, really weird walking up and down the coastline wearing like a winter jacket, but uh, it was absolutely gorgeous. The food was great. Um, There was, I can't remember the alcohol that they they uh we went out for for dinner with the people that we were meeting with and they had this it was like an aperitif i think it was it was after dinner or before dinner i can't remember but um it was just so fruity it was really 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 good uh and they took us to this restaurant that was really cool it was like uh, it, it, it was literally a house and every room in the house had a table that you'd go sit at so where you'd be served was in a room so we were sitting in essentially what felt like someone's living room or this was, I think, upstairs. It was like an office or a bedroom. But there was a big table, and they, they brought the food. It was amazing. Um, the food was fantastic. And the, the Air Bulgaria uh, flight in and out was amazing. The Again, I don't think I've ever had a two-hour flight where they – I was fall, I fell asleep because it was like it was – we had had a hell of a time getting over there in terms of getting our flight, missed a couple flights, got rebooked and all that kind of stuff. So we were exhausted, 36 hours to get there when it should have taken us like 13, 14. And uh, so I fell asleep on this two hour flight. I woke up and usually if you fall asleep, they don't really stop to see if you want coffee. They left chocolate, a full like sub sandwich and a water bottle next to me um, for me to wake up and eat. And there was not many people on the flight, but I mean, it was fantastic service. And then on the way back, we stopped in Vienna, Austria. 
and uh, we were there for the night. We went out to eat. Um, went to this cool restaurant that actually I took Leah to on our honeymoon later, and uh, it was really fun. So that leads me into places I've been for fun. Pretty much everywhere in Canada I've been, you know, as a kid I went to Calgary, I went to PEI almost every summer with my parents. Um, had mussels boiled over a campfire in beer. Best way to eat them, by far. Uh, you know, a lot of places in Ontario, the small cities in Ontario. Um, Quebec City was where I got engaged to Leah. I took her there for her birthday and, uh, and I proposed. Beautiful city. I'd very, very, very much recommend anybody go that has not been. It's a load of fun, and it feels like you're in Europe as well. Um, we've been to Orlando, Florida, of course. We went to Japan. Um, and, I mean, the cities that we went, we were there for a month, and it was kind of weird because we were there for so long. Like, we get over the jet lag, the first couple days of jet lag, coffee in hand every single day, um, just getting out and about in Tokyo. On the way back, wicked jet lag again. But... Uh, it was weird. We almost, we were there for so long, the month, I think, but we were there for a month in the culture. We were the only two people that we knew that spoke English, only people there that we knew. And uh, on the way back, because we we're always in public when we were over there, we came home when we went out to the mall and stuff, it felt weird. So we almost had like, we had culture shock when we went over, but then we got used to the culture that when we came back, it felt like a reverse culture shock. Um, it was a weird experience, but while we were over there, we went to Tokyo, a small city called Aomori on the Northern tip of the main Island up to Sapporo, beautiful city, great beer. Um, their beer garden was amazing. We had all you can eat lamb that you kind of cook in front of yourself. Uh, we went to Kyoto, Hiroshima, Nara. In Nara, we met the deer and uh, we went there twice to, to feed the deer. It was really fun. It was a wild deer that you can pet, weirdly. And uh, Osaka, and Osaka was a lot of fun as well. And then on our honeymoon, we went to Nice, France, back up to Vienna, Austria, and Munich, Germany. And we were there for the end of Oktoberfest, both Munich and Vienna. So the Oktoberfest ended the day that we got there to Munich. Gorgeous city. I would move there in a heartbeat. And then we went to Vienna, and Austria's Oktoberfest is a week. It's like shifted a week. So we actually caught the tail end of that one as well. But in any of those three cities, Nice, France, um, Vienna, Austria, and Munich, Germany, I would move to in a heartbeat. But that's kind of a summary of everywhere I've been in the world. I think there was one year, I think it was 2018, which is when we took our Japan trip and I did most of my work travel. Um, Google kind of shot me the notification. It's like, here's your year in a, a review. And I'd been around the world twice, I think it was, in terms of traveling. And that was just going out west, coming back, going out east, coming back, going down south, coming back, going to Japan, coming back, going to Europe and back and Europe and back. It was, uh, I think Leah said, it was like a week on, a week off for a while there for work where I'd be at home for a week and then gone for a week. But uh, that's kind of a summary of everywhere I've been traveling. What books do you recommend? And the first book I'd recommend is 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Um, this is a great book. It has sold over 1.2 million copies in the U.S. alone, popular with all breadths of society, between from prison inmates all the way to celebrities and to um, powerful businessmen. And the book really goes over 48 uh, kind of principles, he calls them laws, that that kind of he's seen play out over the course of history, but also in modern life um, when he was working in Hollywood as a writer. Um, and he uses examples both from history, from people like Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, uh, and he also uses modern history 
specifically Hollywood being his his kind of niche area and the the way that the laws kind of um, adapted to to modern day life and to our own um, work culture and our own how we can adapt these laws to our uh, our own business dealings and don't just take my word for it um, Jay-Z, Kanye West, 50 Cent, Buster Rhymes, Ludacris, Will Smith, uh, Chris Bosch, a lot of people say this book is is a cornerstone to kind of their reading library and I really recommend you pick it up it's a really really good book um, it's one that I usually refer back to quite a bit my copy is pretty beat up um, another one that I would recommend two books kind of that I would recommend the first one is the communist manifesto the original one don't go and find a book based on the communist manifesto I'd really recommend that you read the original text have an English translation if you're English the reason I would recommend the Communist Manifesto to read is because even if you might not agree with it at all and you are anti-socialist and anti-communist, I think it's good to understand where other people are coming from. Um, and if you are somebody who identifies as being more socialist and being maybe communist, it's good to realize where those ideas came from and the original starting point for those ideas. Personally, um, I'm probably a little bit further down the socialist side of things. Um, it's kind of tough. I, uh, I haven't really stopped to think where I stand politically quite as much as, uh, as just having thoughts and ideas about policies that should be in place to, to help the country. But the communist manifesto is a really good read. Like I said, it's good to know where, um, these ideas stem from and reading the original text rather than just kind of saying communism is bad. You read it and you go, you know what? He, the the uh, the writer Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, um, they had an idea and they were just trying to make the world a better place. And that's what a lot of these um, political theories do is they just try to make the world a better place. And if you read the original document and the original kind of thoughts behind it and not what has come out of it, because, I mean, the USSR was, a you know, there was a dictatorship. I wouldn't really call that pure communism um what we're seeing in china isn't pure communism um cuba is not pure communism it's t difficult when you read the text and, and you read through it it's you realize it's difficult to put communism and that practice specifically into a countrywide application it would work very good very well for small communities but um applying the communist principles across the whole country would be very difficult but i do recommend everybody give it a read um, it's a document that has affected history quite a bit, especially especially modern history. Um, and the other one, kind of almost its antithesis, is The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli, which is a 16th century political uh, discussion written by an Italian diplomat and political theorist, Niccolo Machiavelli, and it was an instruction guide to new princes and royals. Um, this was gifted to me by my uncle when I was a teenager, I think it was, and he really recommended I read it. Um, so that kind of, on the flip side, it really gets into how to lead. And it was actually banned by the Catholic Church. Um, printed copies became widely available in the 1500s. The, the Catholic Church banned it. And I believe it was banned for a couple hundred years. Um, the reason being, he gets into kind of that, the, the aims of a prince or can kind of justify the immoral ways to get there you know it is better to be feared than loved when one cannot be both is a quote from the book um, it goes in to talk about how if you were to 
look at having mercenaries versus um, people who fight for you because they believe in you. You're better off having the people that fight for you because they believe in you because the mercenaries are going to stop as soon as, as soon as the money stops, the mercenaries stop. Um, whereas if, if they believe in the cause, uh, the people are willing to, you know, put up with long hours and low pay to get the job done. Whereas a mercenary, they're going to quit as soon as the pace, the pay stops coming in. Right. And we see that even now in, in modern politics, as you see people who have, these these large groups of of uh, followers, Obama being a very very recent one, um, who had all these people who very strongly believed in his cause and his his hope and his his need for change, or his drive for change, and uh, you know they put in countless hours, tireless, tired beyond belief. Um, I'm currently reading his book right now, and he goes to talk about all of the the interns and all the the low paid kind of foot soldiers as, as you could put it doing kind of the the grunt work and but because they believed in the cause they were willing to do it whereas if you had to pay someone to do it i think you'd be paying a pretty penny to get the same kind of uh, the same kind of effort in um if you want to talk about fiction i would recommend the girl with the dragon tattoo series um i've got three beautiful copies of them um in my office very nicely hardcover I think they're uh, hardcover bound is the way you'd put it, bound copies, um, but they're beautiful copies. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Played with Fire, and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. Uh, when these, when I first got a hold of these, I read them in about a day, I think it was. Each book took about a day and a half, two days, um, and that was because it was summer. I wasn't doing much through school in the summer. I was working, but on my days off, I'd read the book, and I burned through them. Um, really, really, really good book. Uh fantastic i think it's called the millennium series um and i think there's three there might be another one but uh but the three of them are fantastic really recommend it and then finally i'd recommend the the james bond novels for anybody that's uh that's looking for something kind of easier to read and a little bit more light keep in mind these were written between the 1950s and mid 1960s so some of the words in it we can't use anymore or it's just very frowned upon to use um, but it's really cool because we all know James Bond, the movies and the James Bond video games, but the James Bond books, uh, are just as fun and just as kind of action packed. And I was telling a buddy that it's the, it's essentially the Hardy boys for grown men. Um, very similar kind of feel to it. And I read the Hardy boys as a, as a kid and I love them. So, uh, so James, the James Bond books kind of fit right in as well. Ryan, give us some culinary ideas. We've seen your stories, and we know that you love food. So I do. That's not a secret. I think if I didn't exercise, I would be significantly larger than I am now. Not only do I love food, I specifically love pastries. Um, so in terms of cooking yourself, I'd really recommend learning how to do a fried rice. It's very simple, but it looks difficult. Um, really well done with like leftover rice too so you always have something if you've got a a big pot of rice one day and you have some leftover rice in the fridge you just kind of throw it in the pan at the end of uh, sauteing the veggies and you're good to go um my fried rice recipes the ones that i make um there's not really a lot of planning that goes into them and i'm sure leah would tell you that uh, i just kind of cut up a pepper um whatever pepper you want some carrots an onion not too much food 
uh, really, not, not too many veggies. Throw some edamame beans in there, a mushroom if you feel like it, um, and scramble eggs if you'd like to have eggs in it. You don't have to have eggs in it. If you want to have some meat in it, by all means, stir fry the meat in. If you want the meat, you don't have to have meat. I typically do uh, like a vegetarian, vegan kind of thing. Um, but yeah, just a quick, and then you throw the rice in, um, get it to kind of get warm, throw some soy sauce on top of that some salt and pepper i use a little bit of fish sauce as well um and depending if i want to make it spicy you know you can throw in a chili pepper you can throw in some red chili flakes you can throw in some sriracha sauce it's really up to you um one thing we've been really liking is putting a little bit of turmeric on top and it's like a turmeric fried rice very healthy turmeric's really good for you uh, my nutritionist tells me so i also happen to be married to my nutritionist so what she says goes um but it's delicious and then you can always fry an egg too and put that on top of the rice um, but a good fried rice recipe doesn't doesn't really hurt. And that's kind of my, that was one of the first things I really learned how to do. I don't follow too many recipes. Um, another good one, if you like mac and cheese, learn how to make it yourself. A great starting point is Anthony Bourdain's mac and cheese recipe. Um, it's ridiculously good. It's a little bit spicy. Uh, there's really just cheese in it. There's nothing else. I think in, in the cookbook I have from him, he, he mentions don't put anything else in it. He goes, I think he puts bacon or ham sometimes. Uh, but he's like, get your lobster out of my mac and cheese. Get your truffle oil out of my mac and cheese. Don't try to, if you're going to spend money on something and put in your mac and cheese, spend money on the cheese. Um, don't spend money on lobster only to use shit cheese. Use a good quality cheese and the, the flavor comes out and you can definitely taste it. We, we love that thing. That mac and cheese is amazing. Um, and I've done it with oat milk instead of uh, dairy milk and it turns out just as good another one is peanut noodles kind of stir fry some veggies have some some noodles cooking on the side um, typically like any kind of asian noodle like uh, kind of um, what are they egg noodles on the side saute uh, throw them into the saute once they're cooked uh, don't really let it sit too long throw in about into a, into a, sorry, in a separate glass, put about two tablespoons of peanut butter, um, you know, a shot or two of soy sauce, a little bit of fish sauce, mix that up, throw that in, mix it all together and you're good to go. I'd really recommend natural peanut butter too. I'm a peanut butter fanatic. It took me a while to get used to the peanut butter, uh, the natural stuff, but strongly recommend it. It definitely tastes better. I, I, now that I go back to the other stuff, the non pure peanut stuff has all the added sugar and stuff. You can taste it. And, uh, yeah, you get used to the natural peanut butter. I've, I've become a bit of a peanut butter snob. But yeah, try anything. Follow a recipe if you want to, but try anything and don't be afraid to suck. The amount of times that I've messed up recipes as well, um, that you end up ordering, skip the dishes, Uber Eats, whatever. Or sometimes you mess them up and they turn out great. Um, and you can't remember how you did it. But give it a try. No one's going to be perfect at it overnight. And everybody thinks that uh, a good cook is attractive. And lastly, a quick note on how to cook a steak. Um, this is how I cook a steak. I'm not saying there's a good, a right way or a wrong way. My way is the right way though. Uh, cast iron pan, so it's flat. Uh, get that up really hot. Have your steak already out. Make sure that it is room temperature. It's thawed all day. Pepper and salt, both sides generously. Put the steak in, let it sit for at least two minutes. And as the protein cooks, it'll kind of like shrink and it won't stick to the pan. Um, flip it after two minutes. You should have a nice crust on the one side and then keep every two minutes, keep flipping it and then baste. I usually do 
two minutes flip, two minutes flip, and then two minutes, and on that last two minutes, butter, a smashed piece of garlic, some rosemary, and then baste, which is just kind of giving it a butter bath. And then you let it sit after, and definitely use a meat thermometer to make sure you get it within the temperature. I saw a tip where you pull it five degrees below the temperature that you want it to be at, because when it sits, it'll it'll fully cook properly. And then slice that bad boy up and enjoy the steak. There's many ways to make a steak. There's many good ways to make a steak. I really enjoy mine. I think the added butter is what really helps. What are my thoughts on the Super Bowl? Anybody that knows me knows that I am a huge football fan. Um, I always joke with Leah that uh, starting in early September till about mid-December, I disappear because fantasy football is happening, and I take that very seriously. Um, but yeah, football is is my favorite sport by far. I played it in high school, um, and it became a huge part of my life. So what are my thoughts on the Super Bowl? Well, I think Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. I think he cemented that status with this Super Bowl. Uh, I think there was chatter about how Mahomes was going to take over that mantle, but uh, no matter what Mahomes' career looks like, it's going to be very difficult to match the Tom Brady legacy. And Tom Brady's kind of skewed what a quarterback is supposed to do now. Um, you know, in the past, if a quarterback made three Super Bowl appearances and won one of them, he was considered amazing. He was, you know, that's fantastic. You know, you're one of 50 people to have won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady has appeared in one out of every five Super Bowls, I think, now, and he has won, I think, every one out of every seven or something ridiculous, seven Super Bowls. It's it's his numbers are nuts and now people measure you know the yardstick is now tom brady that'd be like measuring people to wayne gretzky you can't do it um you know you got aaron Rodgers, who's another top 10 top five all-time quarterback but who doesn't have the same super bowl record as uh, as tom brady um people take a look at it and they go well he's not tom brady tom brady is in a league of his own he's almost at the point where you have to take him out of the conversation when you're talking about quarterbacks because he's far and away the uh the greatest when you're in, and when you're looking at who has the most championships and the most Super Bowl rings, Tom Brady has more than any franchise, which is crazy. If Tom Brady was his own franchise, he would be at the top. Seven Super Bowl rings, and I don't think a, there's no player that comes close to that, um, let alone another franchise that comes close to that. The, the franchise with the most has six. So that's ridiculous. That's like an NHL player having 25 Stanley Cup championships. I think 25. I don't think Montreal's won since 1993. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. Um, I do think Mahomes did all he could do to to win. Uh, I'm an Oakland Raiders. I'm a oof, Freudian slip there. I'm a Las Vegas Raiders fan. So watching the Chiefs lose was uh, fantastic. I don't know if I don't know if I, I I mean I'd want the Raiders to win, but seeing things like the Chargers and the Chiefs and uh, the Broncos lose, especially in the Super Bowl, it's just great. Um, and that's just the division rivalry. But I do think that the MVP of the game should have gone to the Tampa Bay defensive line because they forced Mahomes out of the pocket on like every single play. They had him running around and scrambling. I think I read somewhere that he had more rushing yards running away from defensive uh, defensive linemen than the Chiefs had total yardage that game. Um, but it was, a, it was quite the defensive uh, shutdown of the Chiefs. And I think what happened was the NFL kind of finally caught up to how the Chiefs play. We saw it earlier in the season with the Chargers. They lost 23-20 to the Chiefs. Second week of the season, I think it was, in overtime. 
Um, and they kind of set the table for how to beat the Chiefs. You don't let them take their home run shots. You don't let them get their home run shots. You, you force, you know, their O-line, I think, was one of their weaker, the Chiefs' O-line was one of the weaker positions, so you just rush the quarterback every single play. You make sure that he's moving and he's scrambling. And then we saw it a couple weeks later with the Las Vegas Raiders beating the, the Chiefs and uh, using the exact same strategy. And throughout the season, whenever there was a close game with the Chiefs, it was that same strategy. Um, aside from later when uh, when the Raiders just tried to have a shootout with the Chiefs and it didn't go nearly as well. But that's what Tampa Bay did was they they stopped the home run plays. And the Chiefs kept looking for those home run, you know, get uh, get Tyree kill the ball. 15 yards downfield and he'll, he'll get the home run instead of taking the the short yardage passing plays which was being given to them which is what we saw tom brady do tom brady was the, the deep ball was taken away so he short short yardage plays because the deep ball was taken away because of the rush to the quarterback so he didn't have the time to sit there and wait for plays to develop so he had to do the short passage short, short passing plays um but yeah it was a great super bowl i think the chiefs got exposed a little bit we'll see how they do next year and now that the NFL season is done, the other question regarding football was, what are your early 2022 NFL predictions? First off the top, I'm going to get my Raiders predictions out of the way. If the Raiders can put a defense together, I think they will be in the Super Bowl hunt. Not even just playoffs. I think they're in the Super Bowl. And I don't think if they make, I think if they don't make the playoffs this year, there's a lot of people on the hot seat in the Raiders organization. Gruden was given time to develop the team and he has, but he needs to put a defense together. We have a new defensive coordinator, so that should help. But uh, a lot of the rookies have to take steps to to um, to really put a defense, a good defense together. And I read an article that said Derek Carr is the only quarterback to have a defense that averages twenty six points a game, letting it like letting up twenty six points a game, um, which is crazy, despite the fact that he puts up a good amount of uh, numbers himself. And people are thinking that he's the problem with the Raiders are out to lunch he's being paid as a top 20 quarterback when he's closer to the top 10 than most people realize um he's not the problem especially with a cap coming in the way it is the Raiders if the Raiders can put a defense together they're going to be in a very very good position and I mean that's saying half the team has to get better realistically if the Raiders put together a okay defense kind of like what the Chiefs had this year um we'll see them go far their offense is on fire they were putting up, you know, 30, 35 points a game. The problem was the defense was letting up that same amount per game. And we're going to have to watch the second half collapse. NFL-wide, though, um, some big ifs include Indianapolis's next quarterback. The quarterback market's going to be very hot this offseason. I don't think Russell Wilson is going to leave Seattle. But there's a lot of quarterbacks up in the air. You've got Wentz up in the air. Um, you've got the Texans falling apart. Um leaving Watson open. So whoever Indy gets as their next quarterback is coming into a very, very good situation. You've got two fantastic running backs, plus a great running, uh, catching running back out of the backfield there. Um, prime weapons on receiver. You give them an off season to actually gel with the receivers. Um, and I think Indianapolis is going to be another hot favorite out of the AFC just because whatever quarterback goes there, if they can get a serviceable quarterback, kind of like a Tannehill, in that position they'll probably make a run again we saw rivers do it this year too bad that we couldn't uh, see him in a little bit further into the playoffs than uh, than previously with the chargers but uh i think indianapolis is one of those teams that's that's not necessarily going to surprise people but 
they're they're a good quarterback away. A lot of teams think that they're a good quarterback away from a deep playoff run, um, but the Indianapolis Colts are legitimately a good quarterback, an average quarterback away from um, from making another putting together another great season. I think another one that people forgot is the San Francisco 49ers. They're good. They just got brutally devastated by injuries this year. Um, so that's somebody coming to the NFC that I think will put together another season that people kind of are shocked for a bit at the beginning of the season when they play so well. But the San Francisco 49ers are a good football team and are very well coached. They just got very unlucky with their injuries this year. The Rams can make a push. I'm very curious if their thesis that first-round picks are worthless or that you're better off trading a first-round pick for a proven talent pans out. Um, I think there's a lot of value in the current rookie contracts. We can get a very good player in your first round. You hold on to them for five years. It's team-controlled for five years. And you've got uh, you've got that fifth-year option, and it's cheap. So if you've got, you know, quarterbacks are always the, the biggest one. But if you can get a very good wide receiver... If you can get a, uh, a good defensive lineman in the first round, you don't have to pay them the, these these big bucks until year six. But they do have a new quarterback, so we'll see. I think the Rams are another team that um, the the West in general, AFC and NFC, are going to have some strong teams. I think uh, the Texans, unfortunately, somehow went from being you know potential Super Bowl playoff team a year ago, two years ago, to being I don't even know what's going on down there. Um, firing people left, right, and center. I think they recently fired the president of the team who has been with the team since they, since their restart in the early 2000s, I think it was. You know, they chased a arguable top three wide receiver out, traded him for peanuts. Bill O'Brien wasn't the worst coach ever. Not a great general manager, but, you know, he wasn't the worst coach ever. He he beat the coach he was supposed to be. He did get outcoached by some of the better coaches, but he was a, a decent coach. Um, yeah, I don't know what's happening down there, but nothing good. So that's kind of my early 2022 predictions. I'm going to, I think once free agency settles down and we see kind of where people are in the draft and stuff like that, we'll see what happens. I don't know about Miami. Um, do I think they're a good football team? Yes. Do I think they're good, well coached? Yes. Do I think Tua is the next big thing in the NFL? We'll see if he makes that that uh, step into the second year, but he's he's got the he's in the position to succeed, and I do think with a, again a good off season is going to do him some some wonders. That was again the problem was a lot of these rookies came into the league without any off season. We saw that in the early, but the first month defenses were just trash um, because they didn't have time to gel, and offenses which is a little bit different. Um, the offensive lines you got to gel, but the receivers and stuff like that—it's—it's it's very much just timing with the with the quarterback, and you can get that down one on one without needing the entire team around you. So we'll see how it goes. I think I don't know. It'll be a messy. It'll be a messy year. And for the the Buccaneers, if they can keep their team together, I think they're another Super Bowl favorite. For the Chiefs, Mahomes goes from a five million dollar cap hit this year to a twenty five million dollar cap hit next year, I believe, and. I think I saw the stat that nine players are going to make up $160 million worth of cap. And the cap is only supposed to be, is supposed to be either staying the same or coming down because of the COVID um, kind of recession in the league in terms of revenue. So I don't know if the Chiefs stay together. I think next year might be their, their final hurrah before we get that $40 million Chiefs uh, 
$40 million Mahomes quarterback contract really, really hurting them. And that's the problem is until quarterbacks can get their money, don't get me wrong, get paid, but a team paying top dollar for a quarterback, like that top dollar, $40 million a year, isn't going to be, is, is not going to look good. You're going to have to find quarterbacks who are willing to not be paid top dollar, but who are willing to put a team around them. Um, like Brady. Brady's not willing to be paid. Brady's got a, you know, supermodel wife who gets paid a ton. And he gets paid a ton in, in um, sponsorships. But, uh, and these young guys, I totally understand wanting to get paid. But people like Mahomes were getting paid $40 million a year. If Dak Prescott gets $30, $35 million a year, it might hamstring the team a little bit to put a good roster together around them. And then um, it's it's tough, which is part of the reason why I do think the Raiders are a sneaky underdog. Again, that's my extreme homerism coming out, that the Raiders are always going to be you know one player away from the Super Bowl. But I do legitimately think Carr's contract is going to come back to help them a lot because he's very underpaid compared to what he should be being paid and i read a story recently that he is he's made all the money he wants you know i think he's made a hundred he'll after next year he'll be have made 125 million off this contract um and that he's happy to take a little bit of a team discount to uh to stick around and put a team together he grew up a raiders fan so that's kind of a bonus because it's not like he grew up another a fan of another team this is his you know childhood dream to play for the raiders so he um he might be willing to take a bit of a discount to stick around. And as long as he's a top 15 quarterback and he's not being paid like a top five quarterback, um, I'm perfectly happy with that if we can put a, a decent team around him. <coughs> but, so this was a fun one. I asked what, uh, you know, give me topics that you want me to hear me discuss, you want to hear my opinion on things. Someone just says, GameStop, LOL. Like, <laughs> I know exactly what they're talking about. Any of you unaware, GameStop had a massive surge in price um, there was what people called the war between the retail investors and the hedge funds that had shorted it. Um, I tracked it pretty closely. I'm still love the financial world. It's really cool. Uh, I have, I, I can, I can mention a couple of the, my hot tips in a minute, but the GameStop saga was something crazy. And the thing that I think the media is overhyping is it's a lot of retail investors versus hedge funds without realizing that there's hedge funds on both sides. There's mutual funds on both sides. There's large players. There's big fish, you know, the whales on either side of the equation. It just so happens that a lot of the retail investors were on the side of the long, which is buying the stock and holding it and hope, thinking the price is going to raise. And shorting it is what you do when you think the price is going to go down. A lot of these hedge funds shorted the price at like $4, $5, thinking it, GameStop was done for. It was going the way of the blockbuster. GameStop got some traction on the subreddit Wall Street Bets. Um, there was a user who was posting consistently, and it started out as a value play. So you, there's a term, the short squeeze, which is where you've shorted the stock. So you've borrowed the stock, you've sold it, you sold your borrowed share, so you owe someone a share. Um, but the play is, I borrow, say it's say I'm borrowing a share from you. I'm going to borrow one share of GameStop from you. I'm going to sell it at $4, and my plan is I'm going to buy it back at two and give it back to you. So I've made $2 there. Or if it goes under and goes bankrupt and I never actually actually have to give the share back, I've made four bucks. You do this with, you know, a million shares, four million bucks. Uh, Problem was, this guy was posting about how it's a value play. You know, GameStop's got all this stuff going for it. 
Um, I'm gonna be totally honest. When I think GameStop and you know EB Games and stuff like that, that's where grandparents and parents still go to shop. As much as everything's online, pretty much everybody over these a certain age they want they want to go in and grab the physical item, especially when it's something like a PS5. That's I think it was like five six hundred dollars. Um, or games or something like you want to have your kid unwrap something so maybe the kids are buying online but all those peripherals and stuff like that have to be sold somewhere so i did think that there it wasn't necessarily going the way games of uh, blockbuster just yet looking back i'm saying that so hindsight 2020 i was not aware of gamestop this time last year anyway price starts rising retail investors kind of get behind it next thing you know gamestop is hiring the ceo of chewy who is a dog food kind of amazon essentially that had a $40 billion um, valuation or has a $40 billion valuation. So they got the CEO. CEO wants to take it all online, wants to go the way of Amazon, wants to go the way of Chewy. Stock price starts going up. You start gaining this issue of a short squeeze. So that share that I borrowed from you and sold at $4, I'm now looking at the price going up to $10, $11, $12, $13. And I have to figure out at what point do I want to buy back that share and cap that loss which is part of the problem of shorting it of going short on a share on a company or something like that your gain your your losses are unlimited your gains are pretty limited so if i if i borrow that share and sell it at four dollars i can only ever make four dollars off that transaction at most however if the price goes up i could lose a lot of money because i have to buy that stock back from you if you demand it Part of all, I believe part of all the agreements of all that kind of stuff means that you have to borrow it back eventually. There's a certain time you have to give that share back. So that short squeeze means there's eventually going to be a point where all these people who shorted the shares, and I think they had shorted something ridiculous like 121%, which means I borrowed from you, I sold it. The person I sold it to then gets it borrowed from them and all this kind of tomfoolery. Um, So they actually had shorted more shares than were around in the company or that were available in the company. That's what's called the float is the shares available for purchase in the market. So as the price goes up, I have to figure out what point I'm going to cut my losses. So the idea of the short squeeze is that all these people are going to start buying back their shares to cut their losses, and that's going to drive the price up even more on top of people buying in just for the long position, thinking they're going to hold it for a while. So eventually what's going to happen is it's going to crescendo. And we saw that with Volkswagen, I believe it was, except Porsche was doing Porsche was doing it in the background and they kind of put the short squeeze on by themselves. There's enough people shorting the share. Porsche was buying up shares. Price skyrocketed. Porsche sold out at the top. And you see this spike. Now, a lot of people think that spike happened back when GameStop was approximately 400 and some odd dollars a share. It could have. We don't know. That's the problem is you don't necessarily know if these hedge funds have covered yet. I believe it's probably over. The hype's probably died down enough. The media's kind of stopped covering it. People move on. The attention spans are short. I do think that was probably the cap of it. Um, however, there is always the potential. You can do things in the market to make it look like you've covered your position, your short position. But there's always some kind of thing going on. I did read a good article recently. I get an email every morning about, it's called Bloomberg's Five Things, if you want to want to check it out um it's five things to strike your day and they have a little editorial at the bottom the editorial mentioned that the the gamestop saga was interesting because you start looking as a short you start going well i'm not gonna necessarily play the market by shorting anymore i might go into the credit swaps and credit swaps is actually what kind of i believe part of what tanked the housing market in 2008 in the u.s um but they're seeing more activity there 
taking on similar positions that would be short of the company. So you can do, there's, there's things you can do in the credit swap market and I'm not very well versed in the credit swap market, but there's, there's uh, positions you can take that are similar to shorting the company on the market, but the credit swap market isn't as open to everybody as the stock market is. So it's kind of one way that people are saying they're going to kind of, the hedge funds are going to move to doing things in the, the credit swap area. They're going to move to the credit swap area um, because it, it prevents their potential losses from retail investors buying in to specifically do the short squeeze. But that's the one thing I want to mention. This GameStop whole fiasco started as a value play. It didn't start as specifically for the short squeeze. And I know some people are saying, oh, it was, you know, coordinated. You can't do that. On an open forum, I believe it's fine. If I go to the town square and I start yelling about how GameStop is shorted 120%, everybody buy in now, and everybody listens to me, that's a public that's public information. There was nothing there that I was, you know, back backroom dealing or there was no insider information, nothing. I don't quite understand what the difference between a hedge fund with, you know, $80 billion, buying a stock, watching a spike, selling at the top, and then going on. I don't see how that's different from, you know, a million people buying into stock, selling at the top, and moving on. Um, so it'll be interesting what the SEC does down south. Uh, anywho, I'll quickly mention a couple things because I'm not. So the following is my advice coming from someone who did four years in fine, in uh, business school, focusing on finance. Um, I'm not a financial analyst. I'm not hired in that position in any way, shape, or form. Take my advice at your own risk. Uh, this is coming from someone who studied for the CFA for a year. That's the Chartered Financial Analyst program, very similar to the CPA for accountants. Studied for that for a year and then forgot to double-check the date and missed the test entirely by two days. That's a whole other story. And it was very disappointing super sucky I'd been studying for two or three hours a night before that um it was awful realized i missed i went to go print my ticket off ticket wasn't there because it had happened on the saturday prior and i had, i guess put the date in wrong and at that point i could do nothing but laugh um at myself because it was 100 my fault anyway so that's what that's who's giving you the advice someone who who went through school didn't really do well in first year and second year realized third year fourth year to pick it up i did decently in third year and fourth year um, and then I completely forgot how to mark a calendar for my CFA. So that's who's telling you this. But my thought process, invest for the long run. ETFs are probably the safest way to go. You're basically just buying the market. There's no point trying to beat the market. Just just roll with the market, especially if it's not your full-time job. If it's your full-time job, by all means, go try to beat the market. But if it's not your job, just roll with it. Invest in a couple ETFs. You can play sectors, I guess, if you want. You can buy an ETF. I think there's one called YOLO. It is for weed stocks. Um, if you want to buy into the weed stock, but you don't know which one to buy. That one has a good, a good, uh, a good amount of variability there. You can buy a stock for the market. Let it play out. People are people. The ETF people will manage it for you. Um, typically, the fees are lower. There's one that I have in my portfolio for. Um, fintech financial technologies i think that's a that's a that's going to have a lot of growth in the next coming years you know we're seeing it with stuff like wealth simple in canada um but in general most of my money is just in the market i'm not going to try to fiddle with it too much i have a fun account where i might make a couple of dumb moves but like you, some fun money but typically put it in the market that's your best bet 
you can beat the market if you choose a sector or two to focus on to just you know buy the etf if you think if you think in 20 years the cannabis industry is going to be where amazon and tesla are now just buy the buy that subsector of the market in an etf don't bother trying to figure out what's going to be the next amazon if you think you know um green technology specifically green cars you know electrically powered cars are going to be the future find an etf that focuses on that don't bother trying to buy the individual stocks um I'm just trying to think of some other ones. There's 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 ETFs for everything. There's one for ethical investing. So they they have their their criteria of what fits for an ethical investor, you know, sustainability, you know, um protects the environment, all that stuff, and you can find it on their website and you can go, you know, that's that that ethical investment principle represents me. I'm going to put my money in that, vote with my wallet. But that's my two cents. Don't try to beat the market. Grab a hold of that thing that they call capitalism and just go for the ride your money will move up. It's not sexy. It's not fast cash, but, uh, it's, it's what'll work, right? Warren Buffett said over the course of, you know, your career before retirement, 30, 40 years, the stock market acts like a bond, except with like a 10% average return. I think, I think it's a 10% year over year return, maybe 9%, but that's amazing. That's really good. Using the rule of 72. So take 72 divided by whatever your return is, that's how many years it'll take for you to double. So 70, every seven years, your principal will double. That's fantastic. Take that and run with it because there's not really going to be too many get rich, get rich quick schemes um, like GameStop every day. Next one, Bitcoin. Another one. I'm going to be totally honest. I know nothing about crypto. I kind of know how the blockchain works. I kind of understand it. I know Bitcoin is the biggest one. I know that there was a pizza bought for 10,000 Bitcoin forever ago. I remember seeing it on message boards in like 2011. Kicking myself. Really wish I had bought some. Didn't. But I think that's how everybody feels. Um, yeah, that's that's about all I got for Bitcoin. I know nothing about crypto. I know Ether is the other very popular one. <coughs> Ethereum, something like that. Um, that one has some underlying value in the apps used for it. Again, I think the apps being used that used ether, I think they need ether to run and it's like a decentralized application in order to go on it. It needs ether to run. Therefore ether is required by something. So owning ether makes a little bit of sense. Would I tell you to go invest in either? No, I would say go do your homework and figure it out or find an ETF that has them. Again, not a financial advisor in any way, shape, or form. Um, hoping to be the millionaire next door that the book talks about. But uh, yeah, go read The Latte Effect, actually. That's another book I'd recommend. Go read The Latte Effect. I think it's The Latte Effect. If you, if you, if you have the time. It's a very quick read. Kind of reads like fiction, but with financial advice. Talks about being 27 aka exactly how I, how old I was a couple months ago. I'm 28 now. Um, and how just like a little bit uh, regularly in the market, whether it's up, whether it's down, whether it's left, whether it's right, whether it's red, whether it's green, little bit every single two weeks when you get your paycheck, averages out in the long run. Um, so my going back to Bitcoin, my only concern is that there's no real underlying value. For the longest time, currencies were tied to the gold standard. Everybody has their opinion on that. Um, personally, I want to read a little bit more about it. I didn't think it was the worst. Didn't think it was the greatest. But 
right now my concern is it doesn't really hold value in in the sense that the only reason it holds value is because someone else wants it, which I guess is kind of anything. The only reason something has value is because someone else might want it or you have a personal attachment to it. But if you think of like, you know, let's just say Canadian Tire, a Canadian t- share of Canadian Tire, you own something. There's something behind that share. You know, if you own US dollar, you can then go use that US dollar on something. But Bitcoin, there's not too many things accepting Bitcoin. And that kind of leads to my second point. Until things are priced in Bitcoin, it's going to be more difficult. So that's the other issue I see is you can accept Bitcoin as payment, but it's a little different. So to make something in my head, again, couldn't remember a date for a CFA test, but for Bitcoin, for Bitcoin to become a currency, I believe there has to be kind of like an economy for it, if that makes sense. So you look at the Canadian dollar. There's things you can buy with the Canadian dollar. There's things priced in Canadian dollars. Um, but I think Tesla said they're going to start pricing things in Bitcoin. My only issue with that is that become, they now are selling a Model X for four Bitcoin. Or is it going to be, they're selling a Model X for $35,000 American. However, you have the option to pay in Bitcoin if you want. Because if you have the option to pay in Bitcoin for stuff, again, that means Bitcoin has value. It's great. Um, but... If you have the option to pay in Bitcoin, that becomes more of a visa type thing. Like a, it has holding, it's a holding of value. It's a little bit weird in my head, if that makes sense. It's not quite a currency, but it's also not quite a stock. I don't know. It's confusing. Bitcoin confuses the hell out of me. The other one, and I did read a very good blog post about this, is until bonds are issued with Bitcoin, as the like the denomination so a bond is issued for 100 bitcoin and it pays you know a three percent coupon rate and at the end of it you will get 100 bitcoin back it's going to be hard for bitcoin to be a currency but for that to happen it has to be stable because if i issue a bond for 100 bitcoin now paying a four percent coupon rate and at the end whatever you get your 100 bitcoin back that's how bonds work um i'm not going to necessarily do that if bitcoin if i sell that now 100 bitcoin and it's priced at $40,000. And tomorrow, it's $80,000. The reason I'm issuing bonds is because it's a stable way to raise cash. I don't want to necessarily have a liability on my, my balance sheet that fluctuates by, you know, three or four times the value every single day. So I think if we see Bitcoin start to stabilize, kind of like gold is, gold's a fairly stable metal. Um, again, I see Bitcoin being more like gold, an alternative to gold. I see people being called crypto bugs, if that makes sense. That would make a lot of sense. You got gold bugs, you got crypto bugs. Um, But I see Bitcoin maybe holding more of a value like gold or more of a position in the economy like gold than an actual currency. Because I think I could be wrong about this. I'm going to want to look this up. I do think part of the value of currency comes from paying taxes because there's something that will always accept the currency. I don't know. I would love to have someone who knows Bitcoin a lot more than me. Not necessarily somebody that is just, you know, fully engorged for Bitcoin. I just mean someone who knows what they're talking about because I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, Again, I said this like eight times already. I'm just somebody who forgot to put a date on a calendar and missed his test. And I graduated from school. Now I just buy stuff for the government. What happened to your fitness content on your Instagram page? I'm going to be totally honest. I got kind of bored. I hit a five plate deadlift. So I mentioned with, with Jordy, very proud moment. 
but life kind of caught up to me. When I was doing that, I was in school full time where I was looking for a job. So I had the ability to kind of devote my whole life to lifting heavy stuff and putting it back down a couple times. And I could spend two hours at the gym. But what happened was, you know, I got a, a full time job. I, I s- greatly reduced the hours that were available to me to go into the gym. So I kind of refocused stuff. Uh, it kind of got, got, I got a little bit bored posting posting about fitness on social media I'm not gonna lie because every time you do it every time you post like oh yeah look it I have two abs now and you scroll and you see somebody with like an 18 pack and like ah fuck you know he's got like two percent body fat but then again that kind of ties into my discussion with Jordy last week of kind of the weird standards we have that's some that's somebody that two percent body fat was someone who clearly trained all year for that one you know four hour window they're gonna have two percent body fat took a hundred billion pictures post them but i don't know it's it's not the it's the fitness community in general online isn't great it's not like it was back in the day when you it's still like that i find in gyms the community's fantastic especially if you're pulling heavy weights all the other people that pull heavy weights just respect the hell out of you and you could be as Jordy was saying this powerlifting gym you'd be lifting a plate 135 pounds off the ground but that's your heavy server and people are going to be receptive and encourage you but i find online it's just like a totally another beast (coughs) on top of that i got old um fitness is a young man's game and i say that as a 28 year old who a lot of people are going to look at and say you're a baby you can't grow a beard you're still a baby but like those people who are you know running incredibly long distances for very short times those people who are sprinting super fast those people who are lifting ridiculous amounts of weight you look at the olympic lifters who are you know it's their second olympics they're only 24 or 25 I'm not going to, I'm 28. I'm already, I've got aches and pains already. I don't need that kind of stuff now. I'm like, after the pandemic's over, do I want a home gym where I can lift heavy again? Yeah. But what's my lifting heavy? I'm probably going to cap out at 400. I feel like I can get back to it, but I'm not going to necessarily push it. If I, if it takes me a year or two to get there, I'm not going to push it. If I never get there, I'm not going to push it. I'm going to go for reps. You know, I'm going to go just to look good, feel good to make sure that my body's operating properly. But uh, yeah, I got kind of old. And, uh, my priorities changed, you know, I, I, I enjoyed my work. I didn't find that it was as much of a priority. Staying healthy was a priority, but posting for the gram wasn't necessarily going to be, going to be on my top 10 list. On top of that too, I did get lazy. There was a while there where I just was going to the gym like three times a week. If that, um, yeah, I got very lazy and didn't want to go. That's the other thing. Going to a gym, it takes like 20 minutes to get there especially after work so 20 minutes to get there after you've worked all day probably you come home you eat you drive to the gym 20 minutes to get there you got to change you got to get out there it's packed because it's after work and everybody's trying to get their work in before it's too late so take you want to be there for like an hour and then you can't really get all your workout in because there's somebody doing something in the machines you want you can never really get the right workout done you come home another 20 minutes to drive home get change it's like a two-hour endeavor um, I do really love my home gym for that. It is not a two hour endeavor. I am in there basically as soon as I log off. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of the trifecta. It got kind of boring. Um, I got old and I got lazy and by old again, I just mean aging out at once you get to like 30, um, read a very good article on teenage about this after the age of 30, you really got to watch what you do in the gym because it's not really a young man's game, especially being natural. It's not really a young man's game anymore. 
uh, and young in lifting means that you're in your early twenties, <clears throat> in your early twenties. So yeah, that was a trifecta. I still post occasionally. Like I think I posted a picture of a 70 pound kettlebell the other day. Um, I'm proud of it. I've got my, my weighted vest and all that stuff. I've of course send Snapchats to my buddies, but, uh, those are only like the three of them that really care about it. The four of them that really care about the, the stuff I do in the gym um and leah but but yeah that's pretty much it i'll I'll still post every once in a while but it won't be necessarily the same kind of stuff which leads me into the did you finish your ten thousand kettlebell swings and what kind of results did you get i finished them it sucked uh i told jordy basically anything after like four thousand you don't want to do anymore and you're just done but it does take a level of grit to really push through it to the end um i found looking back at my tracker the first couple days was like you know i needed to get I think if I did 345 or something like that every single day, I'd get to 10,000 by the end of the year, by the end of the the month. I think it was like 331, 321, something like that. Anyway, so I was doing like 340-ish kettlebell swings a day on the day. I skipped a day. The next day, I did like 1,000. I really got ahead of the game. And I was really, really doing well. And then there was like a three-day break followed by like two 600 days and like a four-day break. And you could see I wasn't really enjoying it anymore towards the end of the kettlebell swings and then at the end it was like a couple 600 days in a row um and that last day where i did 1400 kettlebell swings just to polish it off yeah it was fun and what kind of results my core strength increased incredibly i think i feel it um the muscle on my core i think increased as well in my back like the uh the spinal erectors the two basically for anybody that isn't quite sure what I'm talking about, the two big slabs that run perpendicular to your spine. Um, I feel perpendicular parallel to your spine. They would not run. There's nothing that runs perpendicular to your spine, uh, parallel to your spine. Those I think grew as well. My hamstrings, my butt, I feel like I have my mind muscle connection with everything just because at, you know, rep 83, you're really focusing on not fucking up your technique and hurting yourself and driving with your neck and my kettlebell swing technique i don't want to brag i think it's pretty damn good now my kettle like you do anything ten thousand times ten thousand hours your your technique's pretty good i think my kettlebell technique is pretty damn good now <clears throat> and that leads to the other kind of nutrition e-post or question how do you eat day to day um so i think i mentioned this with jordy is i don't really follow a nutrition plan at all i have a live-in nutritionist who makes sure that i get everything I need. The vitamins I take, I take creatine, I take vitamin D, especially in the winter, vitamin D is clutch. Um, and I take fish oil. That's pretty much it. We have a couple other vitamins. I'll take interspersively if I need it, like a vitamin B. Um, I'd really recommend talking to somebody who really knows nutrition and at least getting like a baseline for your stuff. Um, it helped incredibly. Uh, I know I was Leah's test dummy for when she was getting her nutritionist certification done her degree and um yeah she she was like that you're gonna be one of the ones that they're gonna ask me to follow up on just because it's so difficult because I already ate pretty healthy and I didn't really have many nutritional deficiencies however um I felt great during it so definitely talk to somebody who's in that kind of thing I think nutritionists are more preventative but yeah, I don't eat meat every single day, despite what people might see me posting about the steaks that I eat. Fucking love steak. But uh, I try to avoid it. I haven't eaten too much pork lately, and that's for no other reason other than 
if I'm going to eat meat, I prefer, I prefer a steak. I prefer bison. I prefer some, some fresh, something, um, free range and like wild and, uh, you know, put something good in your body. And to me, if I'm going to eat something, I want to eat, like if an alien came down, I think it was, was it Joe Rogan was talking about this. If an alien comes down, they're not going to go eat the person sitting on the couch. They're going to eat the LeBron James. Like I want to eat the LeBron James of animals. I want to eat the, the, you know, Tom Brady, the peak athlete. Like I don't want the, the, the pig. Cause it just lays in the mud all day. I want the, I want the, the bison or the buffalo or the, the, I'm trying to think of other animals I've eaten. Um, but yeah, if you kind of get to my drift, um, the, the s- sustainably caught salmon that was fresh or tuna, tuna steaks are wicked. Um, but yeah, I eat a good amount of fish, I guess, twice a week. So I guess meat, maybe four or three times a week, a lot of veggies, a lot of vegetable based. Um, Lee always says half your plate should be veggies, a quarter or a third. I think it's a quarter of your plate is meat. And the other quarter is grains I think but yeah and keep everything kind of in moderation like I'm not going to say I don't say no to cake anybody who knows me knows that and anybody who knows me knows I could finish a key lime pie by myself um you know I'm not going to say no because if you restrict yourself eventually you're going to blow up and eat four key lime pies in a row um I have a thing with chips where I will devour a family-sized bag there was one time actually when we first were living together, we went to Costco. We bought like the Costco sized family pack of chips, bag of chips. And I sat down to watch an Oakland Raiders game because they were the Oakland Raiders at the time. And I had finished the entire bag by the end. Um, yeah, I can I can go to town on some chips. So that's one thing that we're in the store. I, I take the 30 seconds it takes me to, for, of willpower to walk past the chips just because it's easier for me to take the 30 seconds to walk past the chips in the grocery store than it is every day in the kitchen. I'll eventually break and eat some eat them all. But again, I'm not going to say no to chips. I'll eat chips. I might have chips every once in a while. You know, we'll pick up a bag for a treat. Um, similar with chocolates and all that kind of stuff. So moderation is key. I'm not saying go eat chocolate every day, but moderation is key. Um, but yeah, and eat a little bit of everything. I really don't eat a lot of dairy though. That's one thing that, uh, when did I cut that? Long time ago. I, I cut milk. I found my skin cleared up. Yogurt as well. My gas cleared up. Not completely. I mean, I think that's genetic, but, uh, it definitely, it definitely cleared up a little bit. You can tell, I think Leah could tell you when I've had milk or, or dairy or something like that. It's, uh, unpleasant to say the least. And if you want to eat dairy, eat dairy. Like I have no issues if people are like, oh, I eat a meat only diet and broccoli. Like that's fine. If you're healthy, do it, whatever it takes you to be healthy. But, um, in my head, you know, keep it random. Don't, uh, don't get caught in eating chicken, broccoli, and rice every single day and four eggs every single morning. You know, maybe you have two eggs one morning. The next day you have avocado toast. The next day you have like, you can get coconut yogurt. It's ridiculously good. Coconut yogurt with a little bit of granola and some peanut butter mixed in. Um, and then eggs again. Like it doesn't, it, there's no reason to, to be that regimented as long as you're getting all of your nutrition needs. Um, I'm hoping to have Leah on the podcast as well to talk to her about nutrition because as much as I may sound knowledgeable that I'm not, um, she knows her shit and, uh, like she can look at me and tell me, I think, I think it's vitamin B. She'll look at my skin and be like, 
Like she'll look at my face like you need vitamin B, I can tell. And lo and behold, I do. I can I can feel it. And don't forget to get your blood work done. That's the other big one. All right. Last question. Why did I start a podcast? Very good question. Um, I needed I was feeling like I needed a creative, kind of like artistic out, out outlet. Uh, I didn't want to paint, didn't want to draw, didn't want to make music. I really like talking to people, um, but like really getting to know them, if that makes sense. Like really understand what their point of views are on things. Um, so I was kind of spitballing ideas, you know, I'll write a book, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that. And Leah's like, you should start a podcast. You know, she she's like, I feel like you're easy to talk to you know most people I think find you easy to talk to um you have great conversations with people and she's like and I've heard you and Jared go at it at the gym Jared's a very good friend of mine we don't agree on necessarily everything politically but she's like I've heard you guys go at it politically and you're like still best friends after that's kind of rare so she's like you're willing to hear people out because it's not everything's not a two-minute sound clip on the news um She's like, you're frustrated with everybody hating each other. Like, just give someone else. So I said, fuck it. Let's go. Started a podcast. No idea what I'm doing. Hopefully the audio quality gets better as I go. I appreciate every single person who's listened to any of my episodes. Um, I honestly thought, uh, you know, one or two people might listen. Me and Leah. Maybe my mom. Maybe my dad. Maybe my brother. Maybe. But, um, so I really appreciate that. I've got more than one stream. It's been, feels pretty good. Anyway. Yeah. I mentioning the two minute thing on the news. I do like giving people the time to develop their thoughts, uh, and, you know, explain themselves. The Joe Rogan podcast is, I listen to it for forever. I don't listen to every episode cause they're long, but when I was commuting to and from work, I could usually knock out an episode a week, just putting it on for a little bit on the way to work, on the way from work. Um, I can't really do it at work because I kind of need to, I can't listen to people talk while also trying to type like contracts and stuff, it messes with me. Um, but yeah, I, I like the way that Joe Rogan gives people the platform to give their spiel. Um, he doesn't agree with everybody that comes on. I think that's perfectly fine. I think, you know, this is going to sound weird, but disagreeing with everybody that comes on or at least trying to challenge their opinion instead of just, you know, jerking each other off. But how great your ideas are, challenge each other really push yourself. That's what I, I liked talking to my buddy Jared about is he, pushed me to really develop my ideas and thoughts um so that's what i hope this will do is give people give people a uh, a wide variety of people that they they can listen to i i like to think i have a pretty decent base of people that have so many really cool stories and i'd like to be able to talk to a bunch of uh, a bunch of people i don't know about their ideas and that's the other thing is people are like oh who do you want to have on the podcast i mean like i'd love to have obama let's be totally honest um, I'd also love to have Bush on the podcast. Uh, I'd love to have Stephen Harper. I'd love to have Trudeau. Um, you know, these pretty important people in history, or at least recent history. Um, and not even necessarily talk about politics with them. Like, just because they're a politician doesn't mean they might have a really cool, interesting side hobby. Like, if, if somebody who is the mayor of a town wants to come on and, you know, shoot the shit about his beer-making hobby i would love to listen to somebody talk about how you know they love making beer that's such a cool thing or you know wine they've they've got they're a wine hobbyist they have a hobbyist farm something i i really it doesn't have to necessarily be what they do for work it just so happens that the three people i've had on right now are kind of more professionals in that sense 
Um, you know, you had uh, Zach, who, who works with children on a daily basis and understands the child psychology and all that kind of stuff. You have Nash, who's like really deep into, it's not necessarily what he does for work, but devotes a lot of time to the not-for-profit side of the house. And you have Jordy, who has his own fitness business. Um, but I mean, if any of them came on, like with Nash, and we got sidetracked, talk about Mar- talk, started talking about Marvel. So I'm cool with any of that. But I, I like giving people the time to develop their thoughts. Because I think if you give someone, if you want a headline from somebody, it's going to be provocative. It's going to be kind of, it's going to stir the pot. Because nobody can get their their ideas out properly in a three-second sound clip, a five-second sound clip, a 15-second TikTok video. Um, you need to give people time to really develop, let let them let their thought process play out, um, because you might not agree with somebody who, let's just say, you are. I know a lot more people end up on the kind of left side of the political spectrum than the right side, so you might not agree with someone who's on the right side. But when you listen to them talk, you realize, man. All I want is for the ability for me to have a family and for everybody to have that that ability to raise a family and to provide for that family. That's all he wants too. We're just looking at it two different ways. Um, and that's the thing, you know, you got somebody who's maybe a little bit more authoritarian and, you know, wants, you know, I think the government should control some of this stuff because I think it will help people live. That's fine. And me, I'm personally a little bit more libertarian. It's a little bit of a cop-out saying that, I, I feel, because people are like, oh, are you liberal or conservative in Canada? I'm like, well, I'm a little bit more libertarian center, and there's not many people there right now. It's a lot of left-wing, and one party way too far on the right. Um, and just polls, they're both being pulled in extreme directions. I just, you need somebody right in the middle. That's all. Um, my dad, my dad, I think it was, was it Trudeau? The original Trudeau? The older Trudeau, I think. My dad used to quote all the time, who said, good politician is like a good golf drive straight down the middle um and i find that's really missing these days but uh, that was a huge rant anyway i like the idea of giving people time to develop their thoughts um and the other reason i started is it's kind of like what gary vioe says just start like i know for a fact probably this first full year of podcast my podcasts are gonna suck and i'm eventually gonna find my groove i'm eventually gonna find my voice no one found their voice overnight no one started you know at the top gary v was saying he didn't start i think he didn't start wine library till 40 or he didn't start posting online till 40 um worst case scenario is my kids and grandkids can listen to my ideas and thoughts and they can kind of hopefully get to know me better through these through these podcasts best case scenario interviewing someone on ctv this time next year no i'm kidding i'm not going to ever probably get there but uh we never know we'll see we'll see we'll see how good it gets this might i might do podcasts for five years straight and then eventually hit my groove and all of a sudden something happens out of it i might do podcasts for 10 years straight nothing ever happens and write a book about it at the end I don't know. We'll see. But like Gary Vee just says, just start. So that's what I did. I just started. All right. I won't take too much more of your time. Thank you for listening. As I said during that episode, I really appreciate everybody who's taking the time to listen to these things. Um, We're on episode four. 
hopefully it'll be at episode 40 later in the year but uh we'll see if you have any more questions or topics for me that you want to hear my thoughts thoughts on shoot me a message you've got my instagram coffee with ryan um you can you know shoot me a voicemail on here uh if you go to anchor.fm slash coffee with ryan there should be an option to leave a voicemail. And I really, really, really would love that because I think for these episodes where, you know, Ryan rambles um, or Ryan's rants, I think it'd be great to hear someone else's voice give me the question, especially if you want to have a question or topic, you want to, you want to hear my opinion on it, but you want to go off on it first, do it. Like if you want to shoot me a message and, you know, Ryan, what are your thoughts on the NHL's New Jersey's design? I think X, Y, and Z fucking do it um you want to shoot me a message and you're like ryan i want to i want to know what you think about taxes on incomes you know i personally think that they're great and they should be higher and all that kind of stuff by all means i'd love to include that on the podcast and then and then i can kind of give my rebuttal after and then um maybe even have you on if i'm like wow this is a great point of view i'd love to have more more dialogue around that fucking let's come on you might shoot me a message. Ryan, what is your favorite whiskey? What's your favorite beer? My favorite whiskey is X, Y, and Z. I actually make my own whiskey. I think I'm going to bring that person on talk about whiskey. I love whiskey. Love coffee. Uh, anywho, again, I'm, I'm going off tangent. Thank you for listening. Um, have a great week, everybody. And uh, I hope you have a great cup of coffee, too. Yeah.